Okay, then um, I realized we didn't have any more handouts from last week, so I'm, I had to run upstairs and print some out. So if you weren't here last week or lost yours or whatever, um, we'll get one for you after class, I guess. Um, all right, so last week I had asked if you guys would maybe like get a greatest hits list of any kind of fun quotes from your readings or any, any quotes that you might have questions on. Um, mainly because, I, I, again, I don't want to rush through anything, but at the same time I want to keep on moving. The, um, and also, too, this is a really kind of, we're kind of at a, a pivot, so we're going to be moving from the meditation of the passion, death, and res, you know, death, not the resurrection, just passion and death, and then we're going to go on the other side of Jesus' uh, incarnation, beginning. So... Um, so I'd want to just spend a little little lecture last time for anything, because um, if you don't have any favorite hits or anything that you, I have lots of them, <laughs> and I, I did I did edit things down a little bit yesterday more, um, and I yeah to try to make things a little closer and I mean uh, shorter. And then also to not include too many that we already had discussed, so maybe some newer ones. But um, anything from the readings that you guys want to, you get to direct the class today, let's put it that way. And it can be from your latest reading or from uh, the previous ones. Now, all the fun lines that I included in our little handout today was were from the the, the first two handouts. So there's nothing from the uh, latest one on the Magnificat. So, Holly, you had, you had your hand raised. So, um, I was just like, I didn't quite finish the last book, but um, probably my least favorite reading of the book. Um, it's just like, it's the most Right. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yep. No, that's good. It is that's right. Yeah. Uh, this one. This one actually is. I when I first read her meditations, I had the same feeling. So it's funny that you say that. Um, it does take a little bit more to kind of dig in to to figure out kind of something, some interesting things. Surely. I found it real hard to keep my attention on it. it was just yeah, the latest reading, or just in general. The latest reading was just very difficult for me to read. I just right. couldn't get into it. Yeah. Well, it is a different kind of reading. Yeah. Now, once again, I am, you know, that's, that's on purpose. It's supposed to be hard reading. Um, and the main, the, main, the main thing, though, is, you know, way back when from class one was to, um, you know, we, she has a very different perspective on things. And different insofar as it's not a popular perspective. But, you know, over the last several weeks, you know, I've pulled out Johan Gerhard, especially last week, Philip Nikolai, Paul Gerhardt, 
these are these are kind of if you know anything about Lutheran history, these are like substantial Lutheran characters. So while it might not be common now, it wasn't so uncommon in a previous time. And that might be something to actually think about. Why? And it could be just because, um, you know, it's weird. You know, that maybe. Or is there something else going on that we don't have this sort of devotional reading anymore? So, yeah, surely, I, that's one of the reasons why. Yeah, surely, uh, surely is absolutely right. This is uh, sometimes weird, and it's hard to keep your attention because it sounds like she's you know, just kind of rambling, right? So... Um, but she's not. Yeah. That's where, that's where, like, it's hard for me not to go into Nerdville and, like, start picking it apart, like, uh, you know, you would, like, in terms of an academic class. Yes, thank you. Diagramming. Because then I thought it would just be more of the same. Yeah, this proves my point. It is boring. <laughs> so... <laughs> Okay, uh, so yeah, I, so take your time with it. I just, but you don't have to like it. I mean, whatever. I, it's up to you. I mean, if I like it. I'm, we're gonna do it. So you know, <laughs> the um, uh, no, but we will be done soon because we're gonna go to Argula. Argula. Argula will be much more straightforward. Surely, it'll be uh, very. Kind of more what we're used to, yeah. So since this is the hardest one, I guess, um, yeah. Because uh, well, let me just yeah, let me kind of scope it out a little bit. Argula Grim, uh, Grimba- von Grimbach is a uh, woman who actually confronted a university about um, expelling a student for being a Lutheran. And she goes through the Bible and you know, basically shows how this student isn't a heretic. And she uses Martin Luther, but she uses the Bible. And it's kind of straightforward, making it a defense for the faith. Then um, I haven't figured out what, which one we're going to do next, the next woman. But I, I think it's actually we're going to maybe explore a little bit about um, women coming out of the convents. That's, that might be a little historically interesting, but then they're just the, how they interpret the Bible in relation to kind of their station in life. Because there were some who were, were Lutherans who stayed nuns, very little, and they made a very interesting defense for it. And then others who left, and how they interpret the Bible. I think that's really interesting because it deals with a woman's woman's place in life. And how we understand, you know, each other. So I, I found it very interesting as a man. So I think we're going to do that. And then if we do have time, which we might, we might not, we'll be Catherine Zell or Elizabeth um, Kruziger. I, I don't want to say her last name. Um, she's a him. They, they were both pastors' wives, but um, kind of like Catherine Van Bora or Martin Luther's wife had. Um, uh, they were both former nuns who 
had, uh, they wrote hymns and poetry and did a lot of writing. Uh, Catherine Zell especially, was, um, she had a phrase, a church mother. And that was kind of like, I'm not sure if it was a made up thing. I have to, um, but that was very interesting. So, okay. Great. We had one hand over here, and then we'll go to Krista. Was there a hand over here? I thought there was. Oh, Holly. <laughs> Great. to think about what that means. So let's, okay, you have something else to say? I mean, are there, are there read to right? The other, the other thing I thought about was talking about when, when John Baptist sleeps and his mm-hmm. will come in and um, listen to him. Yeah. And she connected to, like, full See that, okay, good. I'm glad that you brought that up. That that's one of those. That's one of the reasons why I had you read this passage rather than a different passage was to explore. Explore that. So two things. One is, um, God. You know, so we we want to experience God. We want to know God. I think most of the time we just want to know what He's up to, rather than just Him. But um, the Old Testament's filled with times where people are surprised they met God. Jacob, I did this with the the pastor chats recently. When Jacob wrestles with God, he calls the place um, Peniel. For I've seen God face to face and survived. Jacob knows if he sees God, he's probably going to die. This is also why Moses is asked to take his shoes off. Holiness. Holiness is a, it's a cleansing holiness, purifying holiness. And so God could not 
it's not that you're going to offend him. It's really for us. God is holy, and sin is unholy. So God is clean, and we're unclean. So we have to be washed. We have to be made clean. And then we are made holy by his holiness. But if we are unclean, God's going to purify that out of us. So her kind of contemplating this, it really goes back to the Old Testament and how we as sinners need to be cleansed first before we see God face to face or commune with him. Now, the other aspect is is that she's acknowledging the almightiness of God. God is so overwhelming. That the miracle is that he would come in a person, that God would be a person with, you know, finiteness in a sense. So these are all really kind of profound things to think about that we probably just kind of readily acknowledge and accept. But if we do spend a little bit more time chewing the cud of holiness and then the divinity of Christ, the divinity and the humanity, then we spend a little more time thinking about it and we're like, oh, wow, this is, this is an amazing thing. And of course, it's so offensive to first century Jews, right? That Jesus was God. And that is really the sticking point for basically every other faith. Islam, uh, Buddhism, that's the variety of things. So, you know, as, as you, as you kind of utilize her, you can easily then move on to other things. Uh, the next thing is, is, of course, the connection between the mother and Christ and via that connection, Christ and the child in the womb. Okay, um, 17th century science. I, I can't remember if I, I, I think I might have put a, like a gloss on the side of the note, but I mean. Yeah, there's other instances, and I can't remember if it's in this reading or not, but um, children, so the idea was a child that was born in the womb gets the blood from the mother and kind of, <laughs> I think they use the word like moisture or waters from the father. Of course, they have no idea about eggs and sperm. And so the idea, though, is that this, this child is getting the blood from the mother. Which, to a certain extent, is true, right? I mean, however, if this mother's blood has been joined to Christ's blood, then it's just logical that this child would have the same blood flowing through its veins. And that's what she's that's what she's writing about in this circumstance. So, it's the blood of Christ confessing in the mother to the child. Sounds great, right? I think it's fantastic. Because it does put the 
um, the emphasis on God's presence and mercy for this unborn child. Um, and then that's why I can't remember if it's in this reading or not, but if, if, any, if a woman loses a child in pregnancy, she speaks very confidently about <coughs> this child's place in God's kingdom. Okay. So, I mean, this is just, a, just kind of a profound meditation exercise. Now, Luther says, I can't remember if this is even in the footnotes or not, but Luther says something very similar to her, but with less certainty. So it's not like she's coming up on her own, but Luther also speaks of this um, kind of connection between God's word and the unborn child. So, but we'll talk a little bit more about that. All right, so there you go. Two things to kind of think about a little bit more, I think. Barb. Um, yeah, I actually was doing it yesterday and um, highlighting all the things that I would think were good about it. And it was right around the, the same part that uh, Holly had talked about when um, Jesus... What page? Oh, Sorry. Oh, this is on the incarnation of Jesus Christ. Yeah. 244. 244. But uh, it was the section where um, it showed that Jesus was even working in the womb of Elizabeth, working on John. Right. Even in the womb of Elizabeth. That's right. And feeding him. And yeah. Stronger for what he was going to be doing in life, doing that in the womb. And uh, the, the, well, the part that I really liked was just before. So he never failed to do a good unless he has something still better in mind. That was me yesterday. Isn't that good? That's very good. So this is where, again, I mean, this is, um, yeah, you know, I, uh, the whole idea is that we keep, I had this conversation with a, a parent just on Tuesday, talking about working with children and how what I, what I do with children is what I would do with adults. We just keep coming back to these same stories over and over again. And each time we come back to it, there's always something more. So think about this story. You, you learned this, Barb, you learned this story when you were a child, right? I mean, but, our, you know, when you were a child, you think like a child. And now that you're an adult, you think like an adult. Yeah. So this is something where, again, we, uh, yeah, we just we don't want to rush things. We want to take our time. But I love that though. Is that the fact is, you acknowledge the fact that there's this is something wonderful. But can there's actually something even better? Yeah. It's beyond the pale. Beyond beyond the manifold. So. Krista. <laughs> Um, part of the, if, because you have the enjoyment. Um, yeah, right. And, uh, yeah. It'd be all right when I read only one verse. I would love it. Oh, yeah. So, what page are you on first, Krista? 226. You're down in the footnote. My Seele said to be of this guy's this Adler, Kniege. Wann auch solcher grüne sich Himmel an, 
sich nicht vergnügt, weil es noch zu niedrig ist, über alle Himmel, Himmel. Bring die Gott Verehrungs mit Kindern, weil du hoch verpflichtet bist, preist in solchem Höhe Gott, die zu deiner Gottheit führt. I hope you're enjoying reading the German. Okay, good. <laughs> but it's, it's, quite, it's quite different. You know? Well, yeah, I was going to say, that it, I never gave you the translator's notes, but the translator goes on at length about how it's very difficult for her to translate the German into the English in a way that is kind of readable. Um, from the sentence structure to even like making up words or using words very creatively that wouldn't necessarily translate. Um, yeah, so you said it's not quite the same. So what, what do you mean by that, Krista? Yeah, you know, it's, it's literally in the old German. Yeah, oh yeah, right. And, and, uh, um, and then the sentence are a little bit different because, you know, it's just only the first, the first uh, two lines. Meine Seele setze dich auf des Geistes Adler. Adler is the Holy Spirit, more or less. Yeah. And, uh, um, and that my soul is, is sitting on, on the uh, ghost of, as it is, like, uh, like an eagle. Right. It's... it's the wind of the air is holding you up or whatever, right? Yeah. It's great, right? So this is, again, this goes back then to what we talked about our meditation exercise about how, I think I gave, uh, Johann Gerhard gave um, eight or ten things meditating upon nature. So here you have, how, how do we understand how the Holy Spirit fills you up? Now the Holy Spirit Again, we think about it in terms maybe of a person, but of course the spirit is the breath of God, the wind, um, the mighty wind. The, uh, so, of course, what, what needs the Holy Spirit to soar or to be you know, what it's made for? Well, the image is an eagle, right? Of course, that's already in the Bible, in uh, Isaiah mount you up on eagle's wings. So, um, again, just kind of saturated with God's word here. And if we slow down, we see a little bit more happening in the text. The, um, uh, yeah, okay, that's enough. Was there another hand up? Because I really want to, I mean, we can do a variety of things, so I'm excited about how many people? Oh, yeah, Kathy. Um, I just really, <laughs> I like a lot all the different times he talks about God working in the womb. And it, from, the, from a whole life perspective, it's just, you know, God is working mm -hmm. from the very mm -hmm. beginning. I mean, we kind of go, yeah, yeah, I know that. But if this is the way she says it, it just really... Uh, it adds a layer of pro profoundness to... find what I want, I really like. Um, but, uh, even if, if the child has no mouth yet with which to speak, thus must its entire body 
be the tongue that reveals the presence of joy in Jesus through its movement. I mean, wow. Um, and uh, th there was another point where he said that the, one of the reasons that the Lord came in the womb instead of just like, poof, was kind of like right. on the scene, that he wanted, he wanted to feel the sting of mm -hmm. the serpent on his heel right. before he crushed his head so that by, by being human, he would have that experience of like, wow, oh, that's really good. Yeah, right. Um, what God did not, what, what Christ did not take on, God did not redeem. So the idea is that from conception to death, Jesus' humanity, it, it's a full humanity. There's no question that there's a spot in our life that Jesus has not already been in. So, um, again, to really think about this and meditate upon this, then it doesn't drastically change our view of Jesus. It just makes it richer and then more applicable. Yeah. All right, Beth, you had your hand up earlier. Oh, yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Well, I don't. I don't think so. I, you know, yes and no. I guess. I mean, there, there. Most of the time, the questions asked: the child's not baptized. What's going to happen to the child? And again, that is understanding baptism in a very like academic or technical sense. So the thing is, is that we are looking for the assurance or certainty of things. And of course, if your child's baptized, you're, you, you know, I mean, this, this is the way it is. However, and I, and I can't remember if it's in this reading or a different reading, she actually says, along with Luther and a variety of other previous theologians, that God is not, he, he can do what he ever, whatever he wants. And because he's God, that's the right thing. So if he were to work the salvation of a child, apart from baptism, then that's, that's what he does. So the, the idea, though, and this is abundantly clear, is that there is a connection between the mother and the child. <laughs> Not just scientifically, I mean, it's just theologically speaking. Again, that goes back then to the maternal Christ. How, how is our relationship with Christ understood? We talked about kind of the nuptial imagery last week. Then the week before that, we talked about the mother and the child, but outside the womb, the mother tending for the child through breastfeeding. Um, but we also have father and son, you know, or father and child. I mean, we have this. We have a variety of these images, but again, these images are used because the speak they speak of something itself. So we know that there is a connection between the mother and the child. But how? Let's talk about what that means, and then how does God care care for that connection from the beginning to the, to the very end? And that's why. Um, 
John, the apostle, the apostle John, is given the job of caring for Mary. And because the child won't let his mother, I mean, because the child loves his mother, right? So Jesus loves Mary. And I, I, she has a great quote, and I put it in my fun lines about how Christ has this general love for everybody, but that does not eradicate his specific love for his mother and his friend. Those are not contradictory to each other. So Jesus can love everybody. And then he can say just to a few, I love you. And, and that love is very specific and particular. And so, to some people feel that maybe it's a um, privileged love as if it excludes others. But it's just a realistic love. child should be that way to his mother and to his friend. So you have, again, so you have that connection. So, but then on the flip side, you have this mother who's unrelenting in her love for the child. Even, you know, even if he's a convicted felon, he's, you know, I mean... That is just, that's a beautiful image of the love of the mother. Nothing's going to stop her from loving her son. So, um, and in this new reading, she kind of speaks to this a little bit, but in a Lutheran way, not a Roman Catholic way. So she can love this way because of the ungraspable love that has been bestowed upon her from God. So the the love she shows to Jesus is actually just the same love shown to her in return. And in fact, I can't remember if it's in this, but her last name, Greifenberg, it's like uh, there's there's an emblem, grasping the ungraspable. Did I tell you this already? I can't remember if I told you this. That's uh, to play on her name. So she's trying to grasp the ungraspable. Uh, the Gryphon is to, to like hold of or take hold of. Grasp. The one who, her last name's the Grasper. She's trying to grasp it. So, um, and the image is of, of a woman and a child. She's, yeah. It's great. Very profound. Because you don't know, she's talking about herself or she's talking about Mary and Jesus. All right, Aaron. Ellen, Donna. Um, kind of right in between the, the on page two hundred four. Page two zero four. Yeah, it's right before the part about pushing and it says in some children the Holy Spirit speaks longer to speak, so that before they can speak, they can't have it and they can kind of just hear the child's side and come back with other. Right. Um, in the meantime, you know, 
Yeah. Um, all right. So you touched on two things. We'll get to Ellen and Donna. Two things. First of all, yeah, the power of the Holy Spirit and the working of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit works from the get-go. So baptism brings you in relationship to Christ, a union, and that union is, is drawing closer through the Holy Spirit. So the question isn't whether it's working or not. It's just how is it working. And uh, as a church, we have to ask ourselves, okay, what are we going to do to help facilitate this working? What are the best means to which all the disciples of Jesus grow? So, so once you ask that question, then you've got to answer it, and then you have to plan your life around it. So we obviously here at St. John have answered it in a very specific way, and to the best of our ability have tried to put ourselves in line with it. The fundamental stance is that uh, the liturgy is for everybody. Because God works through his word and sacrament. That's what the liturgy does. It's God's word and sacraments. Now, someone would say, well, the child doesn't know all that stuff. How do you, well, for all, how do you know? Have you asked them? Because um, they haven't been told. Okay, well, uh, who's the teacher? The Holy Spirit's the teacher. So whether the kids can articulate it in the way that you would like them to, that's, a, that's another question. Oh, well, that's usually what I mean. Yeah, right. They, you want them to articulate it in the way that you, you understand it. But I believe that the Holy Spirit is obviously working in the children and not returning void, Isaiah 55. God's word, returning, never returning void. Um, the also too, Romans 8, the Holy Spirit speaks in ways that are more profound than language itself. So we, you know, we have biblical precedent to do this. The second thing is, is that um, the, the children are learning from you the people. So that's the lesson that might be learning today, is how you as a, not you personally as a parent, but like the one who asks about it or wants to learn about it, you might be the teacher to the child today. And so the question is, what are you teaching them today? 
that they are welcomed here or not welcomed here. So everyone has a place. And, and it's on the flip side too, right? I mean, I, again, I just talked recently to someone who hasn't kind of kind of taken the plunge and joined the catechumenate. And they said, I've been here several times, and people have welcomed me. But, you know, not, not to the person's liking. So they've learned something from the people here at St. John. Whether it's a fair critique or not, that's beside the point. They've just learned something, and now we have to kind of... Um, that's, that's part of our faith, is our life together, and, and growing and learning. Um, and then the other aspect, too, is, of course, it goes back to what Barbara and I, we just mentioned. You know something more about the liturgy now than you did when you were a kid. But you wouldn't be able to learn that now if you weren't in church as a kid. I mean, this is all, you're all, it's, it's all coming together. Um, method to my madness in pastor chats is related to this point. <laughs> Wednesday night, we went to sumo wrestling. I know there's several moms here. They all know that already. We wore the sumo suits. It was the Jacob and, and God wrestling. So we had sumo wrestling suits. Um, I know the kids, uh, you know, six years and under, they had probably don't re- they probably don't know that it was actually about Jacob and God. Okay, <laughs> all they know was like we got to shove Pastor Nelson over, and he was in a big fat suit, a big sumo suit. We're not supposed to use the word that. Um, and the kids were also dressed up as sumo wrestlers, so it was a lot of fun. It was great. Now, I can go into confirmation this Sunday. Well, that's not fair now because I, I used it. I reminded them about it last Sunday at confirmation. But, um, <laughs> okay, the, the five, six-year-olds now, so you have your kindergartners, the five- and six-year-olds, which are like, my Daphne June, Henry Lemahue, Flannery. Is N- Nolan's not us. Is Nolan? No, he's okay. I, I'm pretty sure I can probably ask them like four years from now, do you remember sumo wrestling with Pastor Nelson? <laughs> Absolutely. Well, that is, that, is, that, is, that is Jacob and God wrestling. Remember how big I was and how little you were and Oh, okay. So, again, you keep coming back to the same stories, and it keeps growing and growing and growing because there's more to it. And the sadness is, is that we think there's a top, there's a rim to it, and that once we get to the top, we're done. But that's not the case. So, working with children, we need to have them in church. We have to have them in church. And I will argue always to have children in church because you're denying them the Holy Spirit if you don't have them in church. I don't think anybody wants that. Now, it is a presumption that you're having the liturgy, too. Because so. <laughs> if you're going to have, you know, if, if most of your church is some one person speaking the entire time, then that, that's, that's tough. Stuff on adults.
So, yeah. Um, all right, Alan. I hope this isn't too much of a can of worms, but along this. Perfect. <laughs> I feel a little bit of a disconnect. Yeah. Starting with the child in the womb who this rings really true that the child leaps at the. Yeah, right. The greeting of Mary. Yeah, yeah. yeah um, the, the body and blood of Christ is coming into the mother, and and right. the child knows the body and blood of Christ, and and moves in the womb. That that rings very true because mm -hmm. we're all the passive, unworthy recipients, and God is the actor and the giver in the situation. Yeah, right. The lover. Yep. But then the child is born and. Um, doesn't get the opportunity to receive that body and blood again until they have been instructed and are able to discern the body and blood of Christ in the sacrament. And, you know, we put that scripturally based description mm -hmm. on, on them receiving that body and blood again. And that just feels a little bit like a disconnect to me. All right, I'm going to answer very, very uh, efficiently, 10 words or less, um, which probably won't be enough. But I agree completely with what you say. So two things. Let's talk about the Bible first. It's probably a good place to start. The biblical text is 1 Corinthians 11. And some kind of a, people who are very kind of literalists will say, who are in agreement with your kind of disconnect? Does that text primarily pertain to children? You have to answer that. Does it? If it says yes, then you can proceed with kind of the discussion. If you say no... Okay, so the text is um, those who, so in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, yeah, so 1 Corinthians chapter 11, uh, there's, in the church of Corinth, there's, it's a big mess, and the Lord's Supper is a mess. People who are wealthy are coming forward before those who are poor, and they're kind of, you know, like they're just basically eating all the bread and wine. I mean, they're just, it's. And then there's open and rebellion and sin. Some people don't even believe that this is the body and blood of Jesus. They don't discern it. So Paul says, because you do not discern this, that's the body and blood of Jesus. Some of you are sick because of this, and some of you even died. And those who do not uh, discern the body and blood and the bread and the wine bring judgment upon themselves. Judgment, meaning like, you know, you're going to, going to hell. Judgment. Okay. So, whoa, we better take this seriously. And that's, that's kind of the basis for closed communion. All right. Now, I don't think, uh, yeah, so you have to ask yourself, does this text primarily belong to children? And I would answer no. Now, the next question is, does it at all apply to children? 
Yes, of course it does, because it applies to people, and children are people. Um, but what is, what is the guiding uh, kind of principle or primary point in this text? And it really has to do with open sin and um, confession, like what you, what you say about the Lord's Supper, what's happening here. Well, assuming that the child's not in open sin, meaning, you know, not having an affair or robbing banks or, you know, believing, you know, an atheist or something. I mean, you know, assuming that's not the case with the child, you then go to this next part about confession. What does the child believe? Or anybody believe? Now, if it's a Baptist, like, you know, I have have a Baptist family. All my family's Baptist. And so I've had this conversation with my family. And after we talk, they say, well, we don't agree with that, but that's what you believe about it, then, yeah, we won't, we'll not receive communion. Baptists believe it's not the body and blood of Jesus for the forgiveness of sins. It's a symbol. It's just kind of a ritual that you do and, uh, because Jesus said so. Um, yeah, okay, that's enough for that. All right. Now, but now we're talking about children who are baptized in the church and already have made a confession, even though they can't speak. So where have they made a confession? At their baptism. And especially the Apostles' Creed. Okay. So, Ellen, I'm not going to answer your question exactly. This is not the short quote. I, I realize about a couple of seconds into it, I'm like, I cannot do a short. Um, does there, does my confession, what I mean confession, what I believe, differ from my baptism confession? And I would say no, it doesn't. So the faith that is confessing is the same faith. Oh, confessing now is the same faith that was confessing at my baptism. And that faith belongs primarily not to me, but to Jesus. My faith needs to be Jesus' faith. Okay. So given that, how do we commune anyone, but specifically children? So, of course, we at St. John have advocated for early communion. And um, would I commune an infant? Uh, I have a practical question. You know, how? Yeah. I mean, with solids and what we... And, you know, there's other denominations, like there are other church traditions that do commune infants. Well, yeah, you could say that, yeah, your, the mother through the mother, yeah. Um, I, yeah, that, I, we're going to stick to the Bible, though. We want to stick towards this Bible. And, and uh, so we do have a practical question. Now, let's just say, you know, we have an infant, and we're not going to commune them because they can't have solids. Okay. Do they have God's word still? Do they have God's presence? Yes, of course, of course, of course, of course. And that is typically how Lutherans have handled this question over the, the centuries is that 
they have the other sacraments, and those are just as nurturing and sustaining as the Lord's Supper. Yep, which I, I agree completely. And that's why we've never advocated for infant communion here at St. John. However, I advocate for an early communion on two levels. One that we already mentioned, the faith that I confess is the same baptismal faith. But the thing I believe in, these words given and shed for you, are, are not very difficult to understand and believe. And I, can, I mean, this last week, we still got, I still have little kids who are like, you know, reaching out for it. They want it. They know it. They, and so, again, you ask, well, they want it because their parents have it. God, I wish everyone who walked in that door said, you know, I want that because they got that. So this is something that's important for us to reflect upon and not disregard. Because we say that in one instance, you've got to show Christ's love so when you go out into the world, they say, mm, I want some, whatever that person has. Okay, we have it in our church every Sunday, and we are kind of like, yeah, I don't know. So this is why we say, let's go through the class. And I know, Ellen, you were, well, I don't know if you were there at the examination. I can't remember, but um, for Hannah. I can't remember if Luke's there or not. I can't, I can't remember. I, um, I, there's never a child that fails that examination, just FYI, parents. There's no, there's no pressure here. I will give the child the answers. I mean, a lot of kids are just kind of intimidated by the whole thing. Ooh, the pastor. And the parents usually say, well, you know, if you get it, get it right, then you have the Lord's Supper. And he's like, oh, man, I better get it right. So, um, uh, so, we, we, so we have this class to really bring out something they, they probably already know and acknowledge. And we do that for a variety of reasons. One for the family, one for the child, too, to have a little more confidence about things. And then for everybody else in the church, so that does not cause offense to them. But if you were to ask me, you have to choose. I would err on the side of young. Yeah, I mean, I mean the proof is in the pudding too. By the way, I don't want to get into statistics, but I mean, wait until your eighth grade is not proven to be a good strategy. I just I hate to say it, but yeah, that's. Um, I got to say Donna Barber, and then there's somebody over here. All right, Donna. Oh, we were talking. Beth was here, and she was talking about when um, the writer was talking about uh, children believing in the womb. Yeah. Uh, babies. Yep. Well, not too long ago at um, our joy group, yeah, Bible study. The pastor, I think, was talking about uh, how he, uh, Jesus loves the children. Yeah, right. And then one of the um, people in the audience said, um, why do, why do uh, at baptism, before the child is baptized, yeah. they go through, do you believe this and this and that? Right. And uh, because we kind of were taught that... Um, Baptism brings faith, you know, brings right. the Holy Spirit. That's right. Child becomes God's child. Right. Well, um, the vicar mentioned that uh, the child believes in the womb. The child can believe in the womb, 
he hears or she hears the word of God, right. and the mother is then yeah. in church, you know, so that child does believe, but that baptism is an assurance, just like the Holy Supper is an assurance of our forgiveness. Yeah. I mean, and God works mainly through the word. Right. Yeah, yeah, no, you're both right. So, so the idea, though, is baptism creates and sustains faith. God's word creates and sustains faith. Your faith is always being created. It's not, it's not like it's a one-time deal, right? So you, it, it, and it is like the idea of the seed growing, right? You plant the seed, but you still need, and it continues to keep growing, 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 growing. I mean, it's never just grown. Yeah. And Beth is mentioning how comforting that is, especially if a mother has lost her child oh, yeah. before baptism. Right. Yeah, no, um, we, yeah, it goes to the character of God, and then there's also these things that he has given us for assurance. Now, the, the flip side of though, of course, is with anyone, we don't know what, you know, we hear this phrase, we don't know what's in their heart. Okay. Well, that, with that really, we take it as kind of we don't know how they feel, maybe, about things. Well, that's actually not technically what it means. It means we don't know who's in his heart. And the fact is, is that Jesus could still be in a person who's doubting. Jesus still can be in a person who's wrestling. In fact, we can have uh, Jesus in a person who's denying so this is, that's what it means when we don't know what's in his heart, is that we can't lay claim to other people's souls, but we trust. So the question is whether you have more faith in God or more faith in the person. Okay, well, you're going to have more faith in God, right? I mean, well, you should, everybody. And so this is who God is, and that's why we have more faith in him. Than, and again, I, I, said this, I, I don't know, maybe I haven't said it enough. God can reject your rejection. You can say no, and you can be like, I don't care. Parents do it all the time. I refuse your refusal. So, yeah. Uh, Chris, Chris, did you have your hand raised? Oh, yeah. That's cool. Back to kind of what Aaron is saying, I, the very first Sunday we came here, Pastor Drew, like, kind of shut the door. Yeah. Dad, like, the three little kids with us. And I remember he was like, we don't have a nursery. <laughs> we were like, great! <laughs> and then it was like, well, we do, but we just don't recognize that you need it. sounds like something's wrong with Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We were like, this is wonderful. Yeah. I, you know, here's the thing, too. Again, so, okay, now you're a parishioner. You're all your kids are growing up. You're, you know... You, and you're, you, you just want to come to church. You just want to hear that sermon. And there's somebody screaming in the background. You get the headphones. How do you handle it? You get the headphone things. Well, you can get the headphone things. I get my little earbuds. Your little earbuds. You sit up front. I sit up front. Well, first of all, find, find, find a place that's not one of those dead zones, number one. Okay, regardless if the children are screaming or not. Okay, assuming that you've done that, second... Um, is, is really, really, really understand how when you come to church, you, I mean, this is not an individual experience. 
It's not between you and Jesus. That's just that, well, first of all, it's just not the Bible. Yeah, it's between you and the, 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 the people, the family, the family of God. The, uh, you know, Adam and Eve had children. Jacob had 12 sons. It's a family. It's, when they get into Israel, there's so many of them, then they become a nation. But of course, they don't have a king because why? God is their father. You know what, a long time ago, some of you sat there I wasn't singing on the, I didn't like to sing on the things that I was doing, and I just was. Yeah. And he said to me, um, you're not singing for yourself, you're singing for all those that are communing, communing at the time. Oh, yeah. Like them, I'm like, oh. Yeah. I really think about that. Yeah, it, it's your church. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. And I, I and that, I really encourage dads to do this, you know, sing. Not I don't, I don't, you know, I don't care if you don't like singing, just sing. It's, it's modeling. Yes. And you're modeling for the other children, even though you're not related to the other children. And again, this is part of learning too. You sing not just because you like it, or you know, you sing because this is how God made you. I mean, I'm reading the Lord. Did I tell you this Lord of the Rings story about how they're all, the hobbits are always singing? Oh, no, so you know, it, it, no, it's it's a real, it's a it's a it's a great biblical truth about how the elves. Uh, okay, I know I just entered into <laughs> fantasy land for some of you. You're like, what is he talking about? Um, Lord of the Rings, very popular books, became very popular movies, whatever, 12, 15 years ago. Um, but the hobbits and the elves are always singing. And always telling a story. And the thing is, though, these two peoples are the ones who are the most humane. I mean, most, like, um, humanly. Like, they're fully alive. And they always are singing and and telling stories. So, yeah, I mean, that's why we sing in church, because God made us this way. We are to sing. Um... Psalm 84, I know we didn't get to this, but in chapel, it's all about singing. I don't know if you noticed that. Singing and desire for God's presence. So, so dads, tell your, tell your husbands, sing. You're made to sing. Or just sing because you should, <laughs> whether you like it or not. <laughs> No, I, that's well. That's you know. There's a lot of things like that in our life, Marilyn. You know, we just yeah. Okay, we got to scram. All right, now okay. So next week, we are going to be in this new reading, and we'll ha- yeah. The, well, the new the new reading that you picked up last week. So there's no new packet of reading, and um, so so uh, kind of like I said last week, just kind of. Hopefully these two weeks have given you enough time to read the whole thing. Um, because what I'm going to try to do is thematically more than just chronologically. So next week, the 22nd, we'll meet. And then we're off the following weekend, of course, because it's Thanksgiving week. And then we'll be back at it on December 6th.